You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. I'm good, thank you. Nice to see you. Hi. Yeah, it feels like an eternity I've actually seen you. Well, actually, that's a fib because I was there on Sunday for the, for the meeting. Yeah. In the park, but yeah, it's been difficult to get down to sessions this season for me. Uh, speaking of which, how's how's your season going? Uh, good. Uh, bees are oh, they were undefeated till last weekend. What happened there? We, we lost to our C team. So yes, you might laugh, and as you're one of them, I don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't set up at all for me to do a little gloat that the, the uh, C development team. I used to do an over the undefeated Manchester B team. My former former teammates, I'm sure, were quite disappointed. If they weren't, I'd be upset with them. No, I think we maybe should have won, maybe shot ourselves in the foot a little bit just because of an issue with somebody who was playing. But you can argue should or shouldn't, but I think they let that distract them. Yeah, fair enough. I won't dig, uh, dig any deeper. I, you've uh, become player coach. Uh, over the last few seasons, how are you? How you find that transition? Yeah, good. I mean, it's not something I ever particularly aspired to be. I, mean, I used to coach the kids years ago when mine started playing. I enjoyed that. I quite enjoy coaching people, or at least people who listen. Um, I did it last year just because the manager, as it was, couldn't come because of reasons to do with COVID. So from week one, where can you just manage them this week? Became, can you manage them next week and the week after became the season? We were very consistent, winning nothing. But we had a lot of players, which has led to where we are with the extra team now with the Seas, which is yeah. good. It's great for the expansion. Makes it more difficult to manage because you're trying to give everybody game time. It's not like a football team where, well, these are the best nine and you lot sit on the bench till I need you because they all pay money to play. So everyone gets as much as you can, equal game time. So it was difficult at times, games that maybe would have won where you swap players in who've less experience. But you can see some of those players this year playing for the Bs and the Cs where that improvement is. And that's, you know, one of the reasons you do it is a guy, you all know him, Jason. You know, he probably got a barn door when he first came. If he'd swung at it, you know, to see him probably halfway through the season, he made his first catch in the outfield, then he hit a single that kind of turned into a double. Um, and just the joy on his face. Unfortunately, he's kept that going and he got a nice hit at weekend against us. But it is good to see people who listen to what you say to them, put it into practice. And when they say to you, that works that. Thanks for that. It's great. You get some players, you talk to them and you can tell they're not listening. So you're kind of like, I'm not bothered. Yeah. But most people will listen. That's that's how I improved when I first started. People saying, well, you should do this, you should do that. You know, and I, I still use those examples to people now when I'm trying to coach them. Yeah, let's go back then to the beginning before we get too far ahead of ourselves. How long ago did you start playing? When did you make your 
your baseball uh, debut and, and what was it about baseball that, that got you interested? How did you start off in the game? Um, I think I'd always probably had a little bit of interest from being, I don't know, early teens maybe. It used to be on, or very little was on TV, but I saw bits on like World of Sport. It was on occasionally. Yeah. I think maybe the main thing was um, watching Field of Dreams. That kind of maybe sparked it a little bit more. Um, when I was early teens, my uncle had been to Canada and he was supposedly having a, a glove and a bat shipped back for me and my brother. It never appeared. So I'd say I always rankled a little. Hmm. Um, so when I got married in 97, went to Florida. One of the first things we did went in a sports shop while the wife was away buying a dress. Bought myself a bat and a glove. Uh, I kind of from there, but I still I didn't. It was only to have them, not really to play. I never even heard of it over here. Then that Christmas, I think it was, we were in a sports shop, JD, JJB, or whatever. We used to have a board up with you know like players wanted for five a side team under twelves need a goalie. And there was a card on there for Berry Baseball. So I rang the number. He said, "Oh, Berry basically doesn't exist anymore." But Manchester Baseball start training in February. So I was like, all right. So I went along to that in the little school gym. First year we had the one team, the, the A's. Um, you know, I think not playing with a great deal of success. Uh, I think that season we had a 500 record, I think, as of we won the last game. Following year, we expanded to two teams, came up with um, Manchester Express because we had some sponsorship from Baseball Express. So the ambitions were always, initially, was just, just to play. When we got a new first team, so to speak, I wanted to play for the first team. And then you know, we got promoted that year to, I think it was called National League North at the time. So I wanted to play in the National League North at the highest level I could. Uh, I did that, you know, smaller ambitions was always to get that first hit of the season. Yeah. I've hit at that level. Uh, so did that for about eight years. I think the last couple of years I dropped down to the, I think the A's became the second team then. So I dropped down for a couple of years and I basically retired at 43. Um, doing some other stuff with the kids because they were getting a bit older. We did karate and so on. And then John rang up one day, oh, do your two lads want to play? We're a bit short for the Bronco team. Oh, team oh. So, yeah, no worries. So he came down and that kind of went from there. And like a lot of parents taking the kids to any kind of sport, oh, do you fancy helping out? Do you want to do a coaching badge? come look after the Broncos. So it kind of went from there, but I did enjoy coaching the kids and especially when my team were playing. And then it kind of, one day was at a game and a couple of the guys were down and the wife's like, oh, Dave will play for you if you're short. So that's how I started playing. And then I kind of carried on really because the kids were getting to an age where they could play up and the numbers we had in the club at the time so when they got to 14 and could start playing, it was great because we started playing together and still do to this day. And that's why I 
one of the joys really as much as going playing baseball it's that I can do that with my kids yeah yeah well some that's just started taking my little into baseball as well uh, I really enjoy doing it together with him like I prioritized his training session over my own that's why I've not been there on most Thursdays because it's a lot of being out of the house uh, in a week with uh, my college and all that sort of stuff that's going on so it's it's just sort of keep myself at, at home and so that my partner doesn't forget what I look like. But um, I I I, love, I was talking to T and Isdale, one of the twenty three GB lads, um, on the previous podcast, and we were talking about kids coaching. And it's just something really magical about seeing him when he catches the ball for the first time, or when they make that really first like solid hit, and yeah. he can do something, and just seeing just pure joy in the faces when they're playing. It's fantastic. Yeah. What what is it about coaching the kids that that you love so much? Um, it's hard to say. It's probably a little bit like coaching adults to a point, but kids are like sponges, aren't they? Um, especially the ones like say they want to listen and try and do what you tell them. And it's just seeing again the joy of them improving. The kids who come who don't, you know, you'll see some people or two but baseball, and you know they're going to be great before they even start because they just some people can hit a ball whether it's a golf ball tennis ball a cricket ball they have that natural sort of ability yeah you get kids and adults who turn up who i fancy doing it but i don't have a clue what i'm doing and you know they're swinging at a ball that's stood on a stick and you can't hit it you know they're trying to catch a ball and it's like you know to see that progression of them where they've got confidence to catch the ball, you know, they learn how to throw it properly. They can hit the ball. And, you know, some videos on the uh, WhatsApp group the other day about some little T-ball kid who hit the ball and ran straight to second base over the pitching mound. You know, another kid got hit in the face with the ball, and that's kind of what it's like at that age. And you can't be too uh, competitive, really. Yeah. To try and win. It's just about getting them taking part and enjoying the game. And yeah. the, the youth level, I'm not really involved with it at the moment, but we used to have games every week against, there was four or five teams in the league and eventually they all pretty much dropped out. So I was kind of lucky that my kids got to play every season against other teams. And it probably coincided as they got old enough to play up the kids' games disappeared. So they'd never been without playing baseball since they were sort of seven. So that's like, what, 15, 16 years they've been playing. Yeah. And so, you, can, you can tell the, the lads who've played from a young age, but there's a lot of them who all drop out. The kids who play with them and thinking, our club now, you've got, not sure if Cameron played much, because I don't remember him at the youth level, but Jordan, up playing for the A's and my two, but all the other kids who played in their age groups, well, I mean, some went to university, whatever, just don't come back into the game. Why do you think they're not coming back into it? Um, it's you know, there's lots of things to do these days, lots of other distractions. You know, you can even argue that some of them get to 17, 18, discover girls, and well, what are you doing? I'm going baseball all day on Sunday. Oh, well, I wanted to do this. I think there's a little bit of that. 
Yeah. I know there's been a number of them who've gone to university and most of them go away to different places. Occasionally they'll come back and play a game. But I mean, like, a little bit like a lot of things, it's, a, it's almost partly a habit with some of them. And then they get into different things. And then, oh, well, I started playing football when I was at college. So I play football for a team. Or we have people who play cricket. Some will play cricket Saturday, baseball Sunday. Some playing cricket Saturday and Sunday, which means they can't make baseball. And yeah, there's just a lot of things to do that compete with it and other probably more established sports as well. I don't think it helps with the way football is now. Football was always, to me, a Saturday game. And Sunday, yeah. Yeah. Now it's, oh yeah, I'm coming, but I've got a season ticket at City or United. So I can't play Sunday because they've moved us to 12 o'clock for the telly. No, I don't think that impacts us too much, but there are people who, well, if you've got enough players, I'm going to the football or I'm just watching the football. And it, it's, it's easy to get distracted. And then it's, you end up with small numbers where you, especially with three teams now, you're scrabbling around a bit to try and make the three teams. Well, we've, we've got seven, we've got 10, or we've got 14. Oh, we'll have two of your players then. You don't always want to play for the other team, but touch wood, we haven't had a game cancelled yet this season for numbers. We've managed to work something out. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's a great group of people we've got at the going. It's, it's great to see that everyone's now with, with the introduction of the third team, everyone getting more game time and playing time. And, you know, the people are thriving, like I said before, Jason um, has come on leaps and bounds. Yeah, is is it's good to see that that people are now are getting the opportunities. Yeah, it's a it's a lot better. If we had two teams, it'd just be a nightmare, and no one would be playing. You might get a game or less than a game every week. Mm. It's good to see the numbers generally staying reasonably high for training as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's good. To, it's a good group to be a part of. Um, could you talk to us about some of your favourite memories in in baseball? Yeah, I don't really remember loads of them. <laughs> Is that because you're always getting hit by pitches? Yeah, yeah, it takes its toll. Why are you always getting hit by pitches? For those who know, Dave is probably hit by a pitch at least twice a game, and there's a double headers it did they sort of add up yeah I think the main thing is I realised that I got on base for free so <laughs> I see a lot of people ducking out of pitches uh, I tend not to duck out depends um, who's throwing obviously if it's Gavin Marshall and he's throwing heat I might make more of an effort <laughs> it does bug me sometimes with players especially when someone's got a curveball so one last weekend where they're facing the pitch, the pitches, and they duck out of the way, and the ball drops in over the plate. So I'm kind of, I'm waiting as long as I can, because if that ball drops, I might have to swing at it. Yeah. So I stay in, it doesn't bother me being hit. I touch wood, I've never been what I would call hurt. I've never had to limp up to first base or start crying. So I always try and take it somewhere soft if I can. But it's a free base. My, my job's always been, I'm not a big hitter. I don't hit home runs. I've had one in 25 years. 
And that was 25 years ago. You know, I'm a single zitter, doubles. I had a triple for a while, but I get on base. Then my game is get to second, get to third, score a run. And that's what my game, I'm not the RBI guy. I have other people for that. So my job is get on, whether it's a walk, hit by pitch, hit it. You know, my on base percentage is probably more important to me than my batting average. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's like baseball. It's a team game for individuals. You can you can have a great game. You can bat six for six with six home runs. But that might be all we get. You can lose 25-6. You could have an 0-6 game and you win 1-0. So you can take something out of it. You can have a bad game personally, but you come away with a win. You can have a bad result as a team, but come away thinking, well, I, I played all right. At least I got four out of six and I got a catch. Everyone, I think people forget it sometimes, can have an impact on a game. Mm. What are you doing? As uh, Mr. Marchman always says, you're never doing nothing. Yeah. Wherever the ball is, people forget sometimes, but you know, if the ball's going there, the outfield or the shortstop or the second base, you're, you've got to come and cover. If there's a throw to there, you're coming across to back up. And it's frustrating sometimes. People stand there and it goes through and they're like, oh, yeah, I could have gone and got that. And there is a certain mental side of the game that people maybe switch off. People running the bases when it's two out and they're stood there watching the ball go into the outfield, thinking, oh, he's going to catch that. You're like, well, it doesn't matter. Just run. Yeah, get on with it. Swearing at them. Oh, you run, you. But then they might only get to third base where they could have got home. So you need to be switched on. So how how do you, as one of the coaches, imagine how do you get that installed within the players at training? How are you coaching the mental aspects as well as the physical? Uh, we talk about it in training. We do some of the drills that we do to try and remind them. We talk about it when it happens in games that, you know, You've got to think every time whether you're fielding, you're running the bases, even when you're at bat, what the game situation is, who's on base, where they are, what you'll do if, you know, if I'm shortstop and there's a runner on first, then if it comes straight to me, I'm looking to play to second and then maybe get a double play. But if there's two outs, go for the safe out to one. Is the runner on third? You, you've got to be aware of where people are so that you've already got the play in your head before you pick it up. And then I've seen it a few times and you've probably seen it last year. People pick the ball up. Well, then they're like, where am I going? Am I going to second or first? And the guy's not come to second to take it. So I should be there. And then oh, everybody's on base now. So you, you need to be prepared without having to think too much of, if I take this clean, I'm going to second, and he's got to know he's going to come to second. If I don't take it clean, I'm just going to go to first for the out. You know, sometimes they'll try and make a play at home that's not a force, when what you want to do is throw to one and get the out. So it's, it's getting them to think about it. We do certain drills where, you know, you play the ball to them, different infields tell them what the situation is, see what choice they make. 
So you let it out. Right, there's runner on first and third. There's no outs. Bang. Right, what you should have done was with that one is play to home because there's no outs. So you're trying to stop the run. Same play with two outs. The easier option should be play it straight to one. Take the out because that's the most likely out you're going to get. But people switch off. I do it myself sometimes. You're in balls hit where you're not and you're like, oh, that's somebody else's that. And then you're like, oh, no, I need to go and cover that base because if he goes there, you can get a cut off. There might be a play at second. So you just got to stay switched on. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I think that's one of the things I've I've tried. I think it's harder for me when I'm playing in outfield and especially with like my concentration issues is it. I can burn myself out mentally by just staring, staring at the batter's box, just waiting for the ball. And then I just realise I've just done nothing but focus. And I come off the field just feeling a bit lethargic sometimes. It's, yeah, uh, the mental side of the game is is something that I didn't really think too much about when I first started playing. But hearing people like Will Linton and Lee and Carol talking about meditation and mindfulness and stuff and incorporating that within their, their sessions, it's just made me think more about the sport in a whole new light. Yeah, I think it's it's focusing at the right time. You can once the ball plays finished, you can kind of switch off for a second. But especially in the outfield, sometimes you don't see much of the ball in the outfield. So the tendency is maybe sometimes switch off and stay switched off. You see it with a few players sometimes, you know, as soon as a pitcher goes into his wind-up, you should be ready stance with your glove, one foot sliding in front of the other, etc., ready to move either way. You know, your other outfielders should be talking to you. So as soon as he goes in, you're ready. The ball's not coming to you. It comes out, you've got to think where you're covering. But then once that play's not yours, you can kind of, and then you're focusing again. As he goes into his wind-up, you're focusing again. But if, you, if you're just trying to do it all the time, yeah, you'll get mentally tired. Well, I get a bit of tunnel vision and you're looking and it's like, oh shit, that's coming to me, that one. Yeah. And, you know, it's things people do. It's They've got to talk. It's very difficult sometimes in the outfield to pick up the distance of the ball. You can pick the line up and that's where the other outfielders should be telling you to come in, go back. You know, you see a lot, especially probably newer players, the ball's hit and they just come charging in towards the ball and then they go, oh, that's going over my head, that. And it's a lot harder to feel backwards than it is forwards. So sometimes, just right, take a second, take a step, wait, let's pick the ball up, where's it going? Keep it in front, even if you don't make the catch, you can keep the ball in front, listen to your outfielders, make the play, but you're not giving away extra bases. No, that's good, uh, good advice, good tips. Um, in your 25 years of playing, where have been some of your favourite places to go and play baseball? Where have you travelled to in this country or abroad to play baseball? Uh, to play, um, probably, I'd say the two favourite places is Cartmel. Yeah. Just, it's just a beautiful area to play in. Uh, it's close to the lakes as well. We did actually play there once with the juniors and then went to the air show on Lake Windermere. But it's a lovely place to play. Uh, and Brighton away, we played in the playoffs in 2000. Um, that was nice. I mean, fantastic setup. I've never been to Farnham Park, so I don't know what that's like, but the setup at Brighton, proper dugouts, 
proper fences, you know, an infield you can play bowls on. Um, you know, they had about 50 players and we took nine. But we gave them a little bit of a scare because we had a few good players there from an American guy who played and an Australian. Um, they were really good, you know, players who will teach you a lot. Played at a decent level at college or in Australia. Um, and I, yeah, certainly like John Tucker, probably I'd say my favourite player at the club that I've known as a player. You know, but he talked to you when I first started when you're doing things like, oh, no, you're doing this. When you're batting, you're doing that. What you need to do is that. When you're fielding on your backhand, and tips and people who you know, they know what they're talking about. Sometimes you'll get people who maybe don't play too well, but they might know the game, but it's a lot harder for them to teach. We've had some, you know, and the, the, when my lads were younger, people telling them, but you're like, but I've seen you and you can't throw a ball. Be like, yeah, but he knows how to throw a ball just because he can't do it for whatever reason. It doesn't stop you knowing the mechanics. Yeah. But it does help. But yeah, they, they were probably my two favourite away. Probably my least favourite was the first time we played. We played at Sheffield. We played behind a school. And I won't say it was a changing room. There was like an outside toilet. Well, that was disgusting. So that's why we always go dressed now. Fair but, enough. So you mentioned John there as one of the the favourite players you've you've come across in Manchester. Can you name any other um, names of uh, we should take note of from within Manchester baseball? Well, I think most people who've been around for a while would tell you the best player they've played was Rick Garcia. He was an American guy who was over here studying veterinary science at Liverpool. But, yeah, pitched, hit, played shortstop, you know, just an all-round thing. The way at Edinburgh, I think he had a grand slam in both games against him. When we went to Brighton in the playoffs, I think second game, I'm not sure the scores, but they beat us quite easy in game one. Probably a bit of their second team out, they had that many players. Rick was pitching and after about three innings, he subbed everybody off and put all the first teamers in again. He was that good. Uh, but, you know, not... And arrogant, we've had some players who were decent players who thought they were better than they were and maybe a bit arrogant with it. I won't name any of them. But probably the, the two best players that I've certainly played with are Rick Garcia and John Tucker. Cool. You, you mentioned before about blood and then travelling to I'd, I'd love to go and watch some Scottish baseball. It's a really good standard baseball there. And some of the grounds there look amazing. Edinburgh's one of my favourite cities in the world. Do you, do you miss going to those sort of games, like to Brighton's and to Edinburgh's, or do you much prefer the playing more locally with like Liverpool and Sheffield? Uh, I would certainly say with the price of the petrol these days, the local games. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a different experience going away. We played at Edinburgh, Glasgow, Strathclyde, um, and they were the long trips to go. And generally we'd drive up play two games and drive home, and it is a long day. And I think in those days, we played two seven-innings games. We didn't have the two-hour rule, so we made it long. We did go up once to Edinburgh, went up on the Saturday night, um, stayed in a caravan park. Um, fortunately, I had 
I didn't know at the time, but I'd got a viral throat infection. So I stayed in the caravan while I went out for a beer. Then I was off work for two weeks. Um, you know, I just went, suck on a few tunes and I'll be fine, but I wasn't. Um, but to some extent, yeah, I missed that. Probably one of my favourite games, if not my favourite ever game, was at Edinburgh. We'd gone up there, I think Tommy, who used to be a Sheffield guy, was pitching for Edinburgh for some reason. We'd played him and he'd done a bit of a rough takedown on one of the young lads he was playing, Johnny Woodall. Didn't go down well. And then uh, I think probably the sixth innings, if I remember which way round it was, um, I think we had bases loaded. I hit a sack fly to score the tie-in run. And in the next innings, I was playing in left field. And one of the guys was like, no, go further back, go further back. I'm like, no, I'm right here. And then this guy hit one. You know, if I'd been further back, it would have been easier. But I made a what, highlight reel for me, diving catch to snag him. And then in the extra innings, what did I do? Can't think of where. Did I get Walker running? And we ended up beating him in extra innings. That's probably one of what games I remember best. We've all got, you know, hits you get or things you do. I think there was a guy from, it was a coach from MLB called Vince Garcia, I think his name yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were playing them at Preston. And I've never had what I'd call the greatest arm. It's okay, but other people will put me to shame. But I took a catch in shallow right and made a, what they call it, a frozen rope to home to tag it. He was going home from third. That's one I remember. There's one or two other catches and sometimes it's more the people you get out than the way you get them out. Hmm. But, yeah, they've got, you know, people probably remind me more than I remember them about certain games, but they meant to spring to mind. That's cool. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Can you make a team, a baseball team, from some of your favourite players throughout your your years in baseball? Uh, oh, you'd asked me before and I could have written it down, but um, I would say I'd have to put Rick Garcia pitching. Catching the big James Eaton, because I've not seen anybody with an arm like his from behind the plate. Um, first base, I'd have to think, because I've got to put myself in there somewhere. So, and I'll have to put my lads in there. I'll, I'll, I'll put uh, I'll put Willem in as relief pitcher. He can come in as closer. Um, first base, that's where I kind of play now, but. I'll put Ian Marginson in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got a great pickup. He's a good contact hitter. Um, not the fastest on the bases, so I wouldn't put him lead off. But shortstop and put John Tucker. Third base. Um, Oh. But I've put Will. Will can play third base and come into relief from there. He's, he's really come on at third base over the last couple of years. Yeah. You haven't said second base. I know. I'm trying to think of that one. I might play there, seeing as Marge is on first. 
outfield. I'll stick Adam Hayden at centre. He's made that position his own over the last few years. Yeah. Um, and left field, right field. Um, I think now. Probably. I'll put Danny Allen in right field. Some people might think that's a strange choice just for his bat. Um, he was another one who maybe thought he was a bit better than he was. But when he hit the ball, it stayed hit. There's probably ones that hit 10 years ago that are still going. Hmm. Uh, and that leaves me left field. Um, I'll put Dave Allen in left field. Only because it'd be nice to see which one of us gets hit the most. He, he was the, the champion before I came along. He would he could get hit if he was sat in his car on the car park. <laughs> but, you know, he, if he was umpiring, he'd get hit. If he was watching, he'd get hit. He was more of a magnet than I am. So yeah, I think that'll do. That's brilliant. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time with this. I feel I could talk to you for ages on this one. I have to do a two-parter. It's a great chat. Yeah. Um, so before we go, I need to know from you who makes up your Mount Rushmore of British baseball. Right, I'll just go back to my team because I've not put Lewis in. Lewis is going to have to go in the field. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Dave can go on the bench. He'll have to wait his chance. Me Mount Rushmore, how I many is that? Four. Four. Uh, I probably should just pick Chicago White Sox players, but uh, definitely Shoeless Joe Jackson. He's probably my all-time player. I would have to put Jackie Robinson in there. He's just, you know, just for everything he did in baseball, not just playing baseball, but breaking the whole colour barrier. Um, more modern players, I'll go Frank Thomas. He was, once I started watching baseball more recently, he was what the better word, my sort of baseball icon, hero. And then last one, uh, I think I put Ichiro in there. Nice. Uh, I think that's a pretty good four. That's cool. I did say British baseball, but I'll, I'll oh, let you add that. Sorry. That, well, that's, that's cool. No, other people have said that they're, uh, they're baseball ones too, so I'm, I'm fine with those ones. Some good yeah. people. Place. I was one thing I was going to mention as well uh, about your hats. How many baseball hats have you got? Uh, probably less than I had because I started using some for doing jobs around the house and that. But most of the ones I've kept are ones that I bought either at grounds or that someone's bought me for something special. But generally, I get them. I've not been to loads of games. Like I mean, you know, James Clark. If he bought a cap every time I went to a game, he'd have a house full. But they'll be Mets caps. Um, I've got a few from when I've been abroad, some I've bought from places, some people have bought me. Um, I've got like a White Sox 2005 World Series one that my brother bought me back from the States when he was over there. I've got some from games from Tampa Bay. I've got, um, in fact, I've got, that's in the loft somewhere. I've got one from Milwaukee Brewers 25th anniversary. She's the only time I've been and watched the White Sox away at Milwaukee Stadium. Um, 
Yeah, I've got a few Mets ones, some that were mine, some that were Lewis's that he didn't want anymore. Huh. Loads of White Sox ones, they're just different colours, different uniforms. Just became a thing and then obviously Dan kind of hates the idea, so I try not to buy too many more. Which but is your favourite one? That said, I got one for Father's Day last week, so that's got an MLB logo on it, which is quite nice. Your favourite cap? Probably a fitted standard black white socks one with a white socks logo on it. Uh, I'd say that's probably my favourite. Any particular reason why that one? Um, no, just because it's, uh, I think I bought it in Chicago. Uh, it was there many years ago. I might, in fact, I might even have bought that when I went watching them at Milwaukee. That's kind of why I've got a White Sox shirt that's, yeah, well, if you ever see it on game day, you'll see it's a bit tattered now, but that I bought in 1994 that was black. That's now quite a light grey. You can see I've worn it that often under my shirt that you can see the 22 where it's not faded as much as the rest because of the mesh in the shirt. Yeah. And that's just kind of become, I won't say superstition, but I always wear it. <laughs> Take from that what you will. I will do. Uh, number 22 on your shirt, is there a particular reason why you have that number? Is there an, a meaning behind the number? Uh, a little bit. Basically, first season for the A's, I think I had number four. Then I ended up number nine. And when we started the baseball uh, Manchester Express team, we got new shirts. Um, I'm not sure where the number started from, but we didn't have a number nine, so I couldn't have that. I was going to have 18, because one and eight's nine. 18's double nine, and it was... Um, but Dave Allen had that. I think I was going to have 19, which was Tony Gwynn, who's someone I really like. Yeah, yeah. But then 22 is my birthday, is on the 22nd, so I went for 22, and that's it. Cracking. Cheers for that. Dave, thanks very much for your time, and hopefully I'll see you out on the training field. Yeah, no worries. Take care. Nice speaking to you, Matt. You too. Ta-ra. Bye.